Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you are familiar at all with collegiate wrestling or Olympic wrestling, you probably know who Dan Gable is. This man had a phenomenal career as a wrestler. Since high school, in high school, he only lost one match in college at Iowa State University, only lost one match, defeated once. He won the gold medal at the 1972 Olympic Games. And after this phenomenal career as a wrestler, he went on to have a phenomenal career as a coach of wrestling at the University of Iowa, where he won 15 NCAA team titles between 1976 and 1997, making him one of the winningest collegiate coaches out of all the sports. So phenomenal career. Uh, he's just come out with a new book called A Wrestling Life. It's a biography, stories from his life, a memoir. And today on the show, I talked to Mr. Gable about his career in wrestling, his life as a family man, and how wrestling has made him a better man. And the lessons he's learned from wrestling made him a better man, a better coach, a better leader, better husband, better father. After you're done listening to this, I think you're going to be a lot of you're going to be really motivated to get out there and, and do something, push yourself a little harder. So without further ado, Mr. Dan Gable. All right, Mr. Dan Gable, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm I'm glad to be on. So you are uh, one of the best collegiate wrestlers, gold medalist. Uh, you are the most successful collegiate wrestling coach at Iowa. So the question I want to, how did you get into wrestling originally? Did, was it something you fell into or did you make the conscious decision? Like, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to be a wrestler. <laughs> no, it, uh, you know, I just, if I fell into something, it was where I was being raised. So my hometown of Waterloo, Iowa had three high schools, uh, within the local community and, all three of those high schools were led by tremendous high school wrestling coaches. And so because of that, there was a rivalry going and they'd already been proven West Waterloo, East Waterloo. And then there's the town of Cedar Falls at that time, uh, which is right next to uh, Waterloo. And, uh, and the, the coaches there were my, my high school from West Waterloo was Bob Siddons. And, you know, and he's, he's still, I just celebrated his 90th birthday the other day, but, <laughs> He, he dominated the sport. Uh, you know, I think in his 25 or 26 years, you know, he had eight or nine state championships, 10 or 11 uh, seconds, and the rest thirds. And he, he's put out a multiple uh, uh, champions. And then a lot of them went on to become uh, NCAA champions. I think I think there's something like 13 or something that uh, titles that uh, my high school uh, has, has put out there. And, you know, and I'm proud that actually – 
they put up a statue in my high school of myself. And, oh, wow. and even though they've had these other, you know, great wrestlers as well, it's just I don't think any of them went to maybe the uh, the Olympic level and that type of stuff. They kind of stopped after uh, winning Division One uh, college championships. But East Waterloo was a guy named Dave Madrick, and uh, they were winning state championships. And then Cedar Falls was a three-time national champion named Keith Young that wrestled at the University of Northern Iowa. And he was putting out some great athletes as well. So when I was born, you basically, uh, and my dad was a wrestler, his, and his friends were, uh, a lot of them were actually champion wrestlers, even though my dad wasn't really a champion wrestler. He uh, really looked out for me. And it was a sport that, that just came natural to me. I, did, I, did, I played football. I, I played baseball. I even ran track, played some Saturday morning basketball. Uh, and I grew up in the YMCA a lot when I was real young, and I swam, and that was my first championship. So I did a lot of different sports, but you always had to try wrestling, and if you're from Waterloo, and the fact that it was the sport that I enjoyed the most, and I probably was the most successful at. So the bottom line is, as I got older, I kind of narrowed things down. Once I started high school in 10th grade, I actually eliminated all the other sports now i wouldn't have and i don't recommend that unless you're really a fanatic which i kind of turned myself <laughs> into but i i would have still played football but my size i was the smallest guy on the on the uh, on the, on the wrestling team that my sophomore year because high school was 10th 11th and 12th grades and so i was the 95 pound um i ended up the 95 pound state champion that year as a sophomore so my size kept me in that sport, uh, for sure. And uh, and the only sport that I've ever been involved in where I'm consumed in it, whereas, like, you know, I have to wait. I don't have to wait for somebody to give me the ball. I have to wait for the pitch. You know, I, yeah. you know, I just, when it was my time to perform, it was my time to perform. And, and if you didn't, if you let up at all, you know, it showed in front of everybody. So, I don't know. I just, I love the practices. Uh, I just, I have a passion for the sport. Uh, there's a lot of people that have learned a lot about life through wrestling and not necessarily have been the same winner, but they just learned how to compete. They learned how to be able to survive and handle a lot of situations that are very critical for, for life. So for me, I, I, it, I just got a passion for it. So, yeah, let's talk about the fanaticism because that was something uh, throughout your book, A Wrestling Life, where um, – not only you, but you know, you talked to your friends and family members, and they talked about it. And that was funny how when your friends wanted to goof off, you know, they wanted to go play or you know, just, or just hang out. You wanted to take them downstairs to your parents' basement and train. Like you always, you're always training uh, as a, even as a young man. And so I'm curious: was this something that you were just born with, or was that drive, that fanaticism, something you had to instill in yourself? I think it's a combination of two things. I, I do think that I got things inside of me that that brings out the competitiveness in me. Because right away when I first got involved in, in swimming as my first sport back when I was about five or six years old, it was just like all of a sudden when they blew the whistle in the competition as compared to practice, I was just that much better. So it was it was something that I think it was kind of innate, born into, whatever. But I tell you what, I, I give more credit to the attitude. I give more credit to 
the people that are around me that I happen to be associated with. I have some great leaders at the YMCA. I have some great parents. Uh, then all of a sudden, you know, when I'm on track to be a, a very good um, athlete uh, in wrestling or other sports at that time in junior high, my, my academics weren't good. And all of a sudden, it was a wrestling coach that was in the algebra classroom that was the teacher that finally turned me around academically. And from there on, I was a good student. So my whole life was impacted by certain people. And my eighth grade math algebra teacher, Martin Lundball, uh, actually turned me on to academics. And he knew that I was could, could be a good wrestler, but... but uh, I would not have been able to go to Iowa State University. I'd have been a community college kid for sure. I might have ended up at Iowa State, but I would have went a different route. I wouldn't have had the same family, same wife. I wouldn't have probably the same credentials. I wouldn't be here probably talking on the phone to you right now or in life uh, talking to you. So, you know, it's one of these things that uh, uh, I'm just, I don't believe in luck. But I think there was some luck involved that I had these good mentors along the way. Even in high school, like I said, the number one high school wrestling coach who's still at the top of the, the record books, even though he hasn't coached for 30 years, you know, he happened to be my um, my wrestling coach at West Waterloo. But he was also the guidance counselor. So I was kind of a hellion when I was a kid. And so he kind of helped me there, too. And, and you know, besides the eighth grade uh, wrestling coach and, and math instructor, my my high school coach being a guidance counselor. So, you know, I was just one of these things that uh, I, I kept being brought along. And so then I went to college and I was a national championship wrestling coach and Dr. Harold Nichols. And he taught me a lot about independence and in which I already had a lot of that anyway, but he really, um, he, he, his philosophy was you bring in some good wrestlers and them good wrestlers will make other wrestlers good. And so he had an environment was, that was really tough for a guy that wanted to, um, to go on and do some great things. So you'd have to survive in that environment or take a licking. And I wasn't going to take a licking many times. So. <laughs> so one of the things I love about your, the book and the way you organize it is that unlike a lot of memoirs, you that sort of like tell every single detail of a person's life, you pick uh, poignant moments from your life where there was a, a teaching or a learning experience and then share it. And one of, one of my favorites that made me chuckle was uh, your family had this phrase they used uh, Molly putts. Um, you know, can you explain what a Molly putz is and share the story about how your well, mom called you out for being a Molly putz? It's always mom. Well, well, it's like, again, your home life. Uh, um, what can you get away with? Well, you know, back in junior high, uh, I got upset in wrestling, went in a match, got my butt stuck to the mat, came home, pouting, went to my room pouting, wasn't talking to anybody. All of a sudden, she opens the door and she looks at me and she, what are you doing in here? Why are you not, you know, out here with us? And and I, you know, I just kind of shook my head a little bit. And she goes, you know, yeah, you're a Molly putz. And and I, you know, I just really, what it was is I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, you know. Uh-huh. And that because of that, I wasn't really going to take take that adversity on. And that's what you do, you know. When there's adversity, you take it on. And otherwise, it takes you on. And she knew that we could, you could, she could use a terminology that would stick with me a little bit, a Molly putz. And and uh, I don't think it was something that she originated with, but somewhere along the line, the word had stuck with somebody, and it got to her. And when I was not doing what I was supposed to do, or my sister, 
you know, we would uh, we would catch the, that phrase. In fact, even that day of the snowstorm outside, and it's in the book, she told me to get my rear end out there and, and <laughs> shovel the snow right off you know, off the, uh, the driveway. And and so I, I did it, but I ended up uh, showing her because it stirred up something in me, and I was already had a lot of anger in me from that match, and so I just went around and helped all the neighbors and, and shoveling all their driveways. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's just something that that uh, you, you never forget, and uh, there's little things, and I have quite a few of those little things you don't forget, but you don't want to have them, like, all the time being negative. You want to have a lot of positives, and so in my life, I'm probably known more for losses than wins and had a lot of wins. I think seven years in a row one time in, in the scholastic style of wrestling where I I had all wins except for my last one and then I got beat. But that stirred up a lot of action too. Sure. But, uh, yeah, well, let's, let's talk anyway. about that. I mean, what what was, I mean, you, you talked about how everyone's more interested in your losses. And then, you know, even you said that in your book that you are too because, you know, you, you kind of analyzed and like what, what was different about that match. Um, it was the last match of your collegiate career, correct? Right. And, and I already went through high school, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade undefeated. Yeah. And uh, so then I had the uh, freshman year of, uh, you know, you weren't eligible, but I never lost as a freshman in, in a scholastic match. And then once I got to start wearing the Iowa State uniform as a sophomore and junior, and right up to my final match, I was undefeated. And I would have had the chance to be the only person to go undefeated through high school and college. But, but you know, it's like, it's like anything else. You, you, you take something for granted. You let up a little bit, you change your focus, you get involved in the environment, you start thinking about uh, your opponent instead of you and what you can do, and you start getting awards ahead of time. You know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of things I could say, like, well, yeah, maybe the coaching staff should have done this, should have done that. But you know what? I was the captain of the team, I, both at West Waterloo and both at Iowa State, too. And, you know, I, I, I knew what I should have done, and, and I, I really didn't. I, I, I let up. And when you get somebody that's raring for you and and they and they, they build up some confidence and you're not at your best game, you're vulnerable. And so I, I, I learned a lot of lessons there. Uh, in fact, I, I say this. I went uh, 181 matches and with all wins. I lost one match at the 182nd match, and then I got good. <laughs> and the reason why I got good is because I started focusing more on staying focused and actually analyzing really what I needed to be better instead of just going to the practice every day with no, with not like a plan of, of what really is needed in your life to be, uh, you know, to be able to improve uh, in, in, in your sport or in your life. So, you know, it's like all of a sudden now I'm in a, in a in a transition stage going from collegiate wrestling to Olympic wrestling. So I needed to become a lot smarter and not just be the hardest worker. I needed to be the hardest worker and I needed to be the smartest worker. And when that happened, all of a sudden I saw changes taking place, you know, over time that gave me that opportunity to go to another new level. So a lot of times people think they're really good, but they maybe aren't as good as they really can be. And you have to make some minor changes, and and sometimes it takes a jolt to to bring that out of you, or sometimes it just takes a good coach to be able to convince you that here's the things that you need to focus on. Got to be a good listener as well. So one thing you you uh, talk about in your book is that you're 
your sister was tragically murdered when you were a teenager. Um, how how did that affect? I mean, I'm sure I know it devastated you personally, but how did it affect your wrestling career? And how? I mean, did you throw yourself more into wrestling because of it, or as a way to sort of cope? Or what what happened you know, there? You know, I I hear this stuff about a lot of people. Well, I got to do this for myself. Yeah. I got to do this for myself. You know, I need to, you know, I don't need to focus on other people and I don't, I just need to, um, you know, do what I want to do and, and I'll be really good at what I can do and that type of thing. Well, for me, it was more about people that really cared for me, the people that really raised me, the people that loved me, the people that I was surrounded by, even in France. And so, when my sister was, you know, tragically murdered in our house, it was one of these things that it was going to crumble my family. You know, I think I was going to make it, yeah. but my mom and dad, I, I, it just wasn't, wasn't, they weren't going to get over it. And, and it was one of these things that all of a sudden, after a, maybe a month of back and living in our house, where all of a sudden, when something happened that was extreme between those two, you know, I just, I had to, I say, I have to take this on. You know, I have to take this on. And I got up and I just, I said, I'm moving into her bedroom. And because it was like haunted or something, you know, and we just, we didn't really, we lost our kind of home, you know, kind yeah. of became a house or something. And, and I just went in there and went to sleep. And I actually didn't go to sleep, but they thought I did. And it actually started the healing process uh, with making that, that house that had kind of developed into a haunted house, into a home again. But it also, you know, it's one of these things that I was tipped off. I was tipped off about the, her killer, and I never said anything. And so the lack of communication, uh, you know, it was like it was like a, a kid saying something that really didn't mean a lot to you, but it was a derogatory comment. But it it's something that you, you can't overlook. And, uh, I learned that the hard way and it's probably made a big difference in my life. But more than that, I, 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 I just felt like I needed to focus on making sure that the people that cared for me, that they really had something to focus on more than just this murder. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of just changed their attitude a little bit. I mean, you don't, you never get away from it. I mean, it's, sure. I mean, I can walk in, I mean, I can think, I walk, just talking about it right now kind of emotionally breaks me up a little bit. And, you, and, and it's, and it's really sad, but, but it's what you do about it afterwards for not just yourself, but for a whole lot of people that makes a difference. And, and so for me, uh, uh, it's affected my whole life, but, you know, it's not like I can uh, say that I'm the only person that's happened to, but if I can use one word, if I can prevent something from happening for somebody else or even in my life that's really adversity like that, then that's really effective. So, you know, people say, well, you can handle adversity well. Well, no, I really don't want adversity. I mean, I, you know, I don't want losses. I don't want things like this to happen. So, let's prevent them. And that makes a bigger difference. And that's why I'm known for like some losses, whether it be a loss of a sister or the loss of a wrestling match. 
you know, that type of thing. It's because it just doesn't happen very often, and I prevented a lot of those. And so because of that, I've had a lot of success in, in, in my profession, a lot of success in, in my athletic career, and hopefully in, in, in my family. So because of that, it, you know, it's like you're, you, you kind of people look up to you. And you're uh, you're uh, somebody that people really want to want to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of I'm proud of that. That's fantastic. So becoming others focused, you know, whenever something like that, right? Directing, yeah. So so as a coach, you know, you got to deal with athletes, and you know what? Those athletes are teenagers, uh, even the ones that train a little bit later. They're maybe in their twenties, but you know, they can be, and you got to be a bear to them a little bit sometimes. You can't be their best friends all the time. And the fact that you might, you know, you might have confrontations with them in, in, a, in, a, in a sport like wrestling or any sport that's tough. I mean, swimming, basketball, football, you know, I mean, any, any sport that you want to get something out of it, you know, you got to be focused. You got you to put your mind to it. And so you have to do a, a lot of that uh, confrontation. So sometimes I'd be pretty upset with the athletes. And so I'd have to kind of vision myself to somebody else to stay motivated with that person. And so I would also I would also get to know their parents real well, or their brothers and sisters, or their friends. And so a lot of times I just would recall after a wrestling match when one of the a, a big win for a kid, where all of a sudden I'd know where the parents are sitting in the stands, and I and after that big win, I would look up there and I would see the expression on those faces of those people that love that kid. And I knew I was doing my job. Yeah. And, and so that, that's what meant a lot to me. So I'd have to overlook sometimes certain situations with a kid just because I could overlook it because I knew there was somebody that really was very similar to my mom and dad. And uh, oh, that, that, there's a lot of meaning there. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it, and then you forget about it. And then every month, you're getting charged and charged and charged, and they just all add up, and you have a hard time trying to figure out, where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Oh, for sure. Um, so a common theme that I, I found throughout the book was that of transitions. Um, and it seems like your your first real big transition, I guess going from swimming to wrestling was a big transition. transition but the second one was um, when you transitioned from an athlete to coach. Was it hard to make that transition? No. No. It, I guess you got to define what hard is. For and I was used to situations of of combat where you know all of a sudden it was a new level, a new level. And because of that new level, I had to go to a new level myself. And I just didn't want to go at the same rate of speed as everybody else. So those transitions uh, as an athlete were probably doubled or tripled because of, of, of the amount of work and effort that I would put into it. But from a coach, I mean, from an athlete to a coach, there wasn't a whole lot of change, except I didn't really change my, the only thing I changed was just that now I dealt with less control. 
and I and I realized I'd have I'd have to come up with a a way of feeling really good about that. And the reason why I could feel really good about that is because it was more difficult to coach somebody to be a champion than be a champion yourself, at least in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I had a lot of success as an athlete, and you know, I had a few knockdowns, but that I got right back up and went to greater heights. And, and so, you know, so I, you know, as, as you look at coaching, you just aren't the guy that's wrestling and you're not really scoring the points. You're just adding a percent or 2%. You get that kid to perform. And some of these coaches that their athletes are totally dependent on their, on their, coaches in the corner, they're not going to win a lot of matches because the coaches aren't wrestling. And so there's really, it's more rewarding because I, I knew when I, I knew pretty much I was going to win every time. And when my athletes go out, I don't always know that uh, until they prove it to me. And because of that, it's a little more difficult, but it's a little more satisfying too. And, and when you take on that flavor, uh, it's, there's a lot of meaning. So, I mean, I know there's probably some uh, people who are listening who are coaches or in, in some sort of leadership position. I mean, what do you do? I mean, were there some overarching principles you used as a coach to get the best from your athletes? Well, you've got to work harder than they do. <laughs> and so they got to know you have their best interest. they got to believe in you. And you as a coach are more scientific than them as an athlete, because they're depending on you for a lot of learning. So, you know, what was good for me in 1974, 75, when I started out as assistant coach, 10 years later, you better be 10 years smarter. You better be 10 years more updated. You better know what's currently going on in terms of skills and, and training and, you know, how to, how to do things correctly. And, you know, and, and those coaches that, Stick with that old coaching style that you had in the beginning and don't change. You get outdated yeah. and you, you don't keep up. It's like anything else. Um, it's like, okay, so longevity. So in wrestling, it's a tough sport. Football is a tough sport. You get, you get injured and you, you do repetitions and you wear some joints. And, you know, it's like a good coach will actually figure out ways to train your athletes that will be less evasive, but yet just as hard to work, but because you've stayed up to date, more current. And I'll just give you an example. When I was growing up in high school and college, training for the Olympics, I used to do deep squats with heavy weights on my shoulders, you know, you know, and go down all the way down, full squat, back up, full squat, back up. I mean, I'll tell you, it was tough work. And it was hard. And it was grueling, and you were exhausted, and you got tough because of it. But, you know, it's like, okay, after a few years, you, you realize that you did a lot of damage to some of those joints where they have more modern machines. There's ways of recovery now that you can utilize in your practices or after, you know, after the practices that weren't available then. In my day, I, you, you don't want to go to the training room. Mm-hmm. You, the training room is like off limits because the coach would say, you know, that's for people to get hurt. You know, it's like, don't go to the training room. So me, you know, I'd, uh, you know, I'd almost break an arm or a leg or something, and I wouldn't go to the training room. I'd just tape it up and, and stay out there. But nowadays, you got to use science a little more. you got to be a little smarter. 
and a good coach will continue to learn the skills and the techniques that that really um, that can help you the most. You don't have to work any less hard, but again, it's almost like you're smarter, but it's more like because you're more updated, educated, and that makes a big difference. So that's a transition that that uh, I was able to kind of do well for some reason. I stayed right up to what, what's current and continue to do that. So another big transition was you, know, you had this fantastic, um, successful uh, coaching career. And uh, wrestling had become basically a part, big part of your family life. Um, your your family's schedule revolved around wrestling. And you talked about the moment when you you've decided or realized it was time for you to you know retire from coaching. That your I think your youngest daughter got really upset, and started crying, just didn't want to leave, have that part of her life uh, leave her. Um, I know there's some older um, folks who are listening to the podcast who are getting to that point where they're about to retire. I mean, for someone who's been there, is there any advice about making that transition from, you know, doing your calling full time uh, to maybe well, making it a smaller part of your life? Well, here's the first. Here, the first thing is you prepare for things your whole life. You have to, and if you don't, you're not really going about what you need to be prepared for. So there's certain things in your life that are going to happen. And there's such a thing as, you know, it's like people say retiring, which I, I really don't believe in retiring, but you might change positions or you mm-hmm. might change jobs, or you might just um, stop doing one thing and go to another. And that's kind of what I did. I, you know, I just went till I couldn't walk anymore yeah. at that time. You know, I just, well, you coach, you, you, you had a very physical way of coaching. I mean, you actually got there down on the mats and well, wrestled with your, right. But more than that, that was my way of, of continuing to exercise because I love the sport. Yeah. And so I'd wrestle every day, not all during practice, but you know, at least for a half hour after practice, I'd say, keep up three guys there. And just, you know, once you get, you know, 50 years of wrestling in your body, it's pretty much, you know, you're, you've uh, done a lot of, uh, especially when you start out and you don't really have all these scientific principles that were, you know, you, when I first started, you know, they didn't want you to drink water during practice, <laughs> you know? So it's like, uh, you know, once you learn that you can drink water during practice, you actually get a lot more accomplished. So, you know, but, um, you know, it's just one of these things that, uh, uh, that you learn over time. And I, um, uh, I learned a lot of things over time and, and I, um, continue to learn that. But, but when you go to retirement, it's like for me, you know, I, I, I focus on the things that I'm really able to focus on right now. So you just make adjustments. Sure. My daughter who, who was six, my youngest daughter who was six years younger than the next daughter didn't understand it because I just kind of rocked her life. But you know what? This book, her kind of writing this part of the chapter, me writing part of the chapter on her, because I have a chapter on each daughter, actually solved our, any issues that we had between us. Uh, as far as like, you know, I, I didn't realize I rocked the world, you know, and so you got to be better prepared for not just you stepping down in retirement, but what it does to the people that love you, that are around you, that are close to you, and that are used to certain things. I did not take that into consideration. Uh, and so th- there needed to be something else done at that particular time instead of me just boom. Um, jumping out of the sport as a head coach. Uh, I, you know, I stayed in it and I still am in it, but I should have took 
her consideration a little bit more. I don't know, don't know exactly how I would have handled it, but I think if I would have just been able to maybe communicate to her more why I was getting out of it, I think it would have been a lot better. I don't think she understood that her dad was human. Yeah. Because <laughs> she never saw that part of me, probably. And she didn't understand that this guy needed to um, take a break in his life to recover and get his health back, even though he can do a lot of great things for the, the sport of uh, wrestling. So she just didn't know that. She was nine years old or something yeah. like that. And I, I could have helped her transition, but I didn't till this book's out. Well, there you go. So, but we're good now. That's good. That's good. Glad to hear that. Um, so you, yeah. you in the book with this great phrase and it really stuck with me. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Uh, it's the patience of change. How do you stay patient with change? I know there, there's a lot of people oh, out boy. there. There's a lot of people out there. They, they, they set goals and they do it for a couple, you know, like a month and they don't have the progress they were hoping for. And then they just give up. Um, so well, how do you, what's your, let me tell you about the patience of change, the patience of change. I really don't like the patience of change. And if I had my way, my way would be when I want to change and go from one thing to another and get that change completely to where I want it, I want it right now. And that's the way everybody is. But the thing I understood is, and I, and I didn't like it, is that it, it's not going to happen just in one day. It's not going to happen in two. You know, it's, it's going to, it's going to take some time. And I think there's some scientific proof out there that if you don't stay with something for at least two weeks, 10 to 10 days to two weeks, that you don't even have a chance to have any kind of a cultural type of change when you're used to doing something your whole life a certain way. And so, you know, you, you, you have that shot at, at changing, but you know, if you can at least understand and if you can at least feel a few things that might, if you have just any kind of uh, success during that time period, you know, you got to use that as motivation to go on. And even if, even if you don't, you got to realize that sooner or later it will change. But if you don't stick it out and if you don't have that patience, which I don't have the patience, but I actually just made sure I, I stuck it out. Uh, I would see a difference and that difference is going to happen. You just don't know when it's going to happen. I'd love to have it happen immediately and change the first day, but it's not going to, even though you may have a good first day, you might, you probably won't have a good second day, but once things start going your way, you will see that change. And believe it or not, my wrestling career as an athlete once I, you know, once I, you know, I was wrestling from the beginning, but once I got into my about third year in college, so I'm, you know, I'm going through three years of high school, and I have a freshman year that's, you know, ineligible, and then you got a sophomore, and then you got a junior year. I think it took that long to where all of a sudden I wasn't having a bad day at practice. And by that, I mean, a bad day for me would have been somebody taking me down or or somebody scoring a couple of extra points. And that's a good day for most people. But, you know, my standards were already pretty high just from a success point of view. So, you know, basically, I I just didn't have 
a practice where I didn't dominate, you know, and, uh, you know, so that, that type of, and then when you go to the competitions, you add on what's going on there, you're, you're pretty much thinking you're, I mean, you're pretty good. I mean, you don't really brag about it. You just, you have that to rely on that confidence that you build because some people are good practice wrestlers. Some people are not good practice wrestlers. Some people are good meat wrestlers. Some people aren't good match wrestlers. But when you just have success a lot, because you get to that point, you have that patience of getting to that excellent level, then, you know, you pretty much uh, are going to do well. However, I proved that uh, that you still are vulnerable and that you're still human. And it's just like the story with my youngest daughter. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you still got to do your homework. Yeah. And if you don't do your homework, somewhere, someplace, somebody's going to be outsmarting you and outworking you and outfocusing you and, and, you know, that, that type of thing. But, but one thing we didn't cover is, and I think this is really key. This is really key. And it took me a long time to understand this part, but yet I was doing it already. And that's why, I could have this success and I call it what's called recovery. Uh, because when you have high goals, no matter whether in athletics or in profession or business family, you know, you really have to be at a high level all the time, but you also have to be able to recover to be able to get back up the next day to be able to go back hard again. And so that recovery is whatever you need in your life on a daily basis you get it. You get it. Even with the hard work that you do, you need to recover. So safe. And it can be a simple thing. It's like, uh, uh, Oh, you might have to go to movies. Yeah. You know, you take the time to go to a movie or you, or you may enjoy um, a good TV set, a show, you know, or, or, you know, like for me, I didn't realize this, but after my wrestling practices, I always loved to step to set in like hot tubs or saunas or steam rooms, you know, that type of stuff. But what I was doing is I was kind of getting a massage <laughs> and, it, and it, was, it felt good after a good hard day of, of training. And so I was really doing myself a justice by taking that time to do that stuff instead of hurrying into practice, hurrying out of practice, hurrying home. And I'd be still, I'd still be in the locker room an hour after everybody else left. But what I was doing is actually getting my mind and body recovered to get ready to go the next day. And then I'd go home. And if I, if I had a vice or two that I needed, if I needed a Mountain Dew, you know, I might drink a Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's like, it's so it's what you need and what you, you know what you think you can what you think you can uh, handle. But I'll tell you what, uh, uh, you have to work at it, and um, that recovery part is something. I look right now. I'm, I'm walking around my yard right now, and I got a cabin in my backyard. And my wife's got a house here, and I, I live there with her. But I got a cabin in my backyard, and so I've got an office there. I got a little health club in there, and I, it's it's kind of open to the to the deer and the turkey out here in the country. But but it's like I got everything in there I, that I that I need to recover. I mean, you know, to get ready to, to work hard because I like working hard. I like one of these. I'm one of these guys that that want to make a, a real contribution and to help people to help your family to help what you do. And so right there, I got a steam room there. I got a sauna, I got a whirlpool, 
I got an outdoor shower. I got a workout room in there. I got a desk where I do work. Uh, you know, and I'm and I'm and I'm facing the woods. Yeah. <laughs> and and so when I'm working, all of a sudden a, a big buck deer might run out because I'm kind of an outdoor crazy guy too. So I've kind of created an atmosphere that helps me recover, and I don't have to travel once a year to go for two week vacation. I can go in my backyard, and I can and I can I can work in my a little little cabin that. Um, you know, that gets me, gets me kind of ready to go, you know? And so I think people sometimes are on this pace and they don't have the patience. And the reason why they don't have the patience is because they don't have any break in their life. So when you talk about patience and change, it's going to be how you structure your everyday life to make sure it's structured well. And when it's structured well, you're going to do good. Fantastic. Well, Dan Gable, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for, so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Hey, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's pretty in depth, and uh, I hope that uh, you get this thing out to a lot of people, and uh, a lot of people actually uh, maybe tune into the great sport of uh, amateur wrestling. I, I, I thank you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Our guest today was Dan Gable. He's the author of the book A Wrestling Life: The Inspiring Stories of Dan Gable, and you can find that on Amazon.com. <laughs> Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, you feel like you're getting something out of it, please, please, please give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you use to listen to your podcast. Also, recommend us to your friends. I'd really appreciate that. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.